The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the big Finnish audio story starring Missy called The Broken Clock. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. You have to do the whole thing. Uh, retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and be sure to leave us comments wherever you find us online. We love to hear from you and see you online. Uh, I want to tell you about another show on the network that you are sure to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz. They are also Doctor Who fans, and you want to check them out at sqpn.com slash OZ or wherever fine podcasts are found. No, Don, so, it's, it's OZ. I know. It is OZ. As soon as I said that, I knew I got it wrong. Sorry, Lindsay, Carolyn, and Lino. It's, uh, I should have got that right. Uh, so, uh, on, on the other hand, saying OZ will actually tell Americans how they can listen to the show. Exactly. <laughs> I know. If somebody's going to spell it O-Z-E-D, you know, that's how it's going to be. But it, I'll have to, now I have to go put that in as a redirect. Never mind. So uh, let's talk about Doctor Who. We, we, as I mentioned, we're discussing uh, one of the Big Finish audio stories. And again, if you're new to, to the podcast, Big Finish at BigFinish.com. They've been making Doctor Who, new Doctor Who stories, starring, in many cases, the same actress from the TV show for more than 20 years now, hundreds of them. And so what we're discussing is one starring Missy, played by Michelle, Michelle Gomez. Gomez. I, I got to remember her first name for a second. Michelle Gomez, who is fantastic as the female incarnation of The Master. Uh, so, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what's going on in this audio story? This week on Secrets of Doctor Who, we watch an episode of Dick Zodiac's America's Most Impossible Killers, or something like that, because the name of the show we're watching keeps changing in slight ways. In any event, it's a cheap, sensationalistic TV documentary about impossible killings. And in this episode, American detective Joe Linwood is investigating a string of impossible killings where the people who were recently seen alive suddenly turn up dead, with their bodies decayed as if they died a long time previously. Detective Linwood is assisted on the case by Detective Inspector Missy Masters from Scotland Yard in England, London, England. This gives us a fun romp of Missy-related madness as she relentlessly satirizes the tropes of today's awful documentaries. But the romp turns serious when it's revealed that none of the murder victims were actually murdered. They were just people who were moved in time. What's really been going on is that Missy has been trying to track down the battle TARDIS she was given as the War Master during the Time War. When this TARDIS realized it was being piloted by a psychopath, it went mad. And so it's been trying to regain its sanity by finding a new, sane pilot. Each of the apparent murder victims was someone who agreed to become its pilot, but each died for various reasons, and the TARDIS then returned them to where they first became the pilot to keep the timeline straight. 
Missy is trying to sneak her way back into getting control of the battle TARDIS again, and she hypnotizes Detective Linwood into agreeing to become its new pilot so she can use him to take control. But an older version of Detective Linwood appears and thwarts her plan. He and his younger self escape, leaving Missy to the mercies of her battle TARDIS, though we later learn that she hit the TARDIS's factory reset, and so Missy survived her plan going wrong, as it should be. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yes, that is totally in the documentary style uh, of here on various uh, like History Channel or Fox Channel, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, Fox, that sort of thing. So and, uh, and wow, do they? Re- this is so meta, and the, it's extremely yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. But it is so meta, and they just do really relentlessly satirize the tropes that you encounter in horrible TV, modern TV documentaries. Yeah, And I've got a couple of illustrations, or at least I've got an illustration of that for the listeners to hear. By the way, I want to mention, so today's theme music is actually the Missy theme from, mm-hmm. the, from the set. What they do at Big Finish is they use, they're modeling their audio plays after the TV shows, and so they'll use the theme music for each Doctor that was used during that period. Mm-hmm. So, like, during the fourth Doctor, they'll use the fourth Doctor's theme music. When they're in the sixth Doctor, they'll use the sixth Doctor's theme music and so forth. But with a character like Missy, you know, she's not the lead character. So, Big Finish had to come up with their own Missy theme. And I think they did a really good job of it. I, that theme that they came up with for her has these... It, it's 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 partly sinister, but it's also partly playful. And it has these kind of lush oriental you know uh mm-hmm. themes in it um and i think it suits her really well i was very excited when this set first came out um it's a four play set they recorded it during uh the covid lockdowns in 2020 and so none of the people were actually together michelle gomez was like recording in a studio wherever she was and then they spliced it all together the four plays in it the first one is called A Spoonful of Mayhem, and it's often been noted that Missy is kind of like a demented Mary Poppins. Yes. And, and so they go full in on that in, a, in the first play, A Spoonful of Mayhem, where she becomes the governess of two in- Victorian English children. <laughs> so, so that's a lot of fun. The second story is called Divorced, Beheaded, Regenerated, and it's a uh, crossover with the meddling monk mm-hmm. in the time of Henry VIII. And so both Missy and the meddling monk are trying to game the situation in the time of Henry VIII, and Divorced, Beheaded, Regenerated kind of gives you a sense of some of the themes that are involved. Then we have this one, which is A Spoonful of Mayhem, and the uh, the the final one is called Broken The Clock. Belly of... The Broken Clock, yes. Sorry, yeah. And then the final one is called The Belly of the Beast, and it deals with Missy trying to rule a planet and also (laughs) bringing to culmination a plot that they've been hiding across the set with little clues dropped in the other episodes. Okay, okay. But I wanted to give the listeners a taste of this one. Um, in in, In the kind of the first part of this story, we're listening to an episode of whatever this show is called. I mean, at one point we're told it's Dick Zodiac's America's Most Impossible Killers, which is an awesome title, but they Mm -hmm. keep varying a little bit. 
and um, they're doing a reenactment of like these early impossible of an early impossible killing where this security guard turns up dead, but it's like he's he was here minutes ago and now he's been dead for a long time. How does that work? And they, as part of the investigation, we go to another of the pilot's homes, this time a rich heiress who collects things, and she's turned up dead too. And we get to meet her maid, and it is clear immediately that her maid is being impersonated by Michelle Gomez as Missy. Only she's using this ridiculous Mexican accent. It sounds te- <laughs> it sounds terrible. Yes. We th- we then introduce the character Missy Masters of Scotland Yard, who they do stress it's in England. Right. <laughs> and and uh, and 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 Missy Masters is not initially played by Michelle Gomez, so it's not Missy. It's an actress pretending to be Missy, and. Her accent is all wrong. Yeah. And eventually, it, it's, it sounds British to me. It doesn't sound Scottish. It doesn't sound Irish. It just sounds British to me. But she's trying to make it sound Scottish by throwing in things like laddie yeah. and, and stuff like that. And then it all becomes too much for Missy, and we hear this. <laughs> Sorry, but I had to stop this right now. This is just terrible. Do we have to tell the story this way? What's wrong with it? Where do I begin? For a start, you're just saying what happened in voiceover, and these actors just perform what you've just said, and then you repeat what they've done over and over again. It's utterly tedious. That's what we do on Dick Zodiac's Strange and Impossible Killers. The viewers need to be reminded of what's been happening because they forget during the commercial breaks. Well, stop it. It's annoying. And you, yes, you. No, don't look behind you. I'm talking to you, woman in that ridiculous Mary Poppins outfit. Who, me? I'm not pointing my umbrella at anyone else. What's that accent supposed to be? It's Scottish. Scottish? You think that's Scottish? That's not Scottish. That's just Irish with bits in. I mean, you heard me do the made and flawless Mexican. Surely it's not beyond your ken to do Scottish. I'll give it a try. Don't ever say try, dearie. That's defeatism. I'll take over from here. Don't call us, we'll call you. Wait a minute, you can't just stop this show dead and disintegrate members of the cast. This is a fast-moving, true-life, dramatized crime story. Record scratch! Didn't you hear the record scratch? I made the record scratch so everyone has to freeze and let me take up the story. But you can't just... (laughs) Record scratch! Nothing says stop everything like the sound of obsolete technology malfunctioning. Speak not another word. I won't warn you again. So, so, <laughs> so you hear how how much fun they're having with all that. Um, oh, yeah. You know, they're they even they point out the Mary Poppins thing again. They change <laughs> the name of the show we're watching again. The actress's accent that gets disintegrated was not Irish, um, not any form of Irish accent that I'm familiar with anyway. And yeah. so it looks like they're just deliberately playing. Not you know. Missy gets accents wrong, including misidentifying the one she's picking on the actress for. <laughs> right. And it's it's just a lot of fun. Later, and this is a shorter clip, but later they go back to the museum where the first impossible killing occurred. 
and they're kind of reenacting or figuring out, you know, what happened to the security guard. And we hear this. Over here! This is where it happened, isn't it? Yes, he was lying right there. So the dead security guard. Mm. Let's call him Mr. Jangle Keys. Chuck. His name was Chuck. Chuck Jangle Keys walks around here, waving his torch about. I'll be him. (laughs) I I love that. I mean, you know, security guards often do have a bunch of keys, and so Missy decides to come up with the nonce name, Mr. Jangle Keys. But (laughs) Detective Linwood is like, but he's a person. His name was Chuck. Chuck Jangle Keys comes over here. And she consistently throughout the story thereafter refers to the dead security guard as Chuck Jangle Keys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's so, okay like she's so callous like just so and, and that's that's very true to to the the missy in the series you know when you know uh when she disintegrates uh osgood and you know all of these and, and the fans are, are, are aghast and and she's like whatever and she's joking about it and it, yeah it's just so demented and funny it, it's yeah yeah it's so good i i love the way in the um it, when she's pitching to Linwood how they're going to work together, she's talking about how it's going to be great. You know, me advising you, you obeying me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the whole hypnotism part is, is, was so good because it was so subtle. Yeah. You know, it's just right. like, you're going to obey me, right? You're going to obey me. And of course, eventually he's like, yes, yeah, yeah, I'll obey you. And he, even he didn't even if, act if like he was hypnotized. You- it yeah, wasn't even like on the show where it's stereotypical, I will obey you, master. No, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, I'll obey you. It's okay. Yeah, I can, I can do that. I can, I can follow you. Yeah, he, he'll say, if, yeah, I'll do this if it'll make you happy. And she, she'll say, oh, it will make me so happy. <laughs> and it, yeah, but she does not use the line, I am the master and you will obey me. It is much more subtle than that. And it yeah, just the- kind of gradually builds, too, where he, he's, you can yeah. tell he's less and less reluctant to do what Missy wants. And the the plot is is complex, especially for an audio story. You you need to keep track of all of these people, including people playing the same character, like the actual Missy and the actress playing Missy. Although she gets <laughs> zapped early on, you know the actor playing Joe Linwood and the actor who is who who is Joe Linwood. You know what I mean, like in the yeah. re, you know the reenactment that sort of so it, it is complex, and so you have to keep track of it, and then. As the the circle goes around and around, you realize that this is not what's going. Like, there's something very odd going on here. Until we get the reveal at the end, and in fact, in early on, my notes say the narrator Dick Zodiac describes things that no one who wasn't there could know. Like he's he's describing things that he shouldn't be able to know, of mm-hmm. like people saying things or doing things that that they were alone when they were there. So. Uh, I think with like when the first when the, the the guard is killed, he describes how it happens, and it's like, well, how would you know how it happened? He, he was alone <laughs> when he died. Yeah, yeah, and, and that and becomes clear. And that uh, yeah, it's also part of the tropes of these kind of reenactment documentaries, which, when done badly, involve what Missy said. First, the narrator tells us what's going to happen. Then we see the actors reenact it, and then mm-hmm. the the narrator recaps it and and tells it all to us again. And um and this this is one of the most meta aspects of this because at a certain point, after he's been introduced to Missy. 
although we actually learn about this before we hear him introduced to Missy, so it's out of place temporarily, Detective Linwood comes to believe that the murders actually involve time travel. And he's talking to Dick Zodiac, the narrator, about that. And Dick Zodiac is dismissing it. You know, like time right. travel, that's, that's crazy. And then Linwood makes this fascinating point, but this show, you know, that we're on, time travels every week, doesn't it? Because these events happened in history, and then you're describing them as the narrator from the future, and then we look back on them in the past, and then we catch back up to the present. Mm -hmm. So this crime documentary itself time travels. So how bizarre could it be to encounter actual physical time travel? Mm. And then when you get to the end, that's even more meta than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So you have this older Joe Linwood who's talking to the narrator, looking back on these events, and you have the younger Joe Linwood, who, you know, they're looking at. And uh, at what point uh, Linwood says uh, that he has a photographic memory? It's it's a oh, gift and a they, curse. They bring it up several you, times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although uh, people don't actually have literal photographic memories; they don't like see the thing, right? Or is that? Is that well, a myth? it's uh, so the idea of a photographic memory is somewhat overblown, but not entirely. I mean, yeah. what what a lot of people have is an eidetic memory where they will see see things in their head that you know correspond to um, to what they experienced in the past. Like I have some of that where if I've been back in the days before electronic books. I would have memories of what part of a page I read something on, and I would see mm. that part of the page in my mind. Mm. There are apparently people who have um, something close to total recall where you can say to them, so what were you doing on May 28th, 1960? And they'll be able to tell you. Mm. Um, but that and, and that can cause real problems. We're not designed to work that way. But those people are very, very rare. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people, when they hear the term photographic memory, they literally think that they can take a look at a piece of paper and like snapshot it in their mind. Yeah, that doesn't. You know, that doesn't. And that doesn't really happen exist, as far as I know. But that's that's yeah. how it's usually portrayed on on TV screen and on TV, and yeah. TVs and movies. Yeah. So uh, we mentioned that the murder victims, uh, which we have at least two at the beginning, the uh, the guard and the uh, Amanda Freelove, uh, they were wasted away like bags of bones, and uh, we have. You mentioned Missy posing as uh, the maid, Ms. Del Toro, uh, uh, Amanda Freelove's maid. Um, yeah, I, I love how at one point, you know, she's she's trying to answer as if she's a Mexican woman. And so she'll be saying, see, see, instead of yes, yes. <laughs> right. and, and and then later she says, yeah. And it's like, that's German. <laughs> exactly. Well, and at one point, she, one point she sounded like a stereotypical Asian woman too. Yeah. yeah yes. like, she was all over the UN with that accent. That and, was... <laughs> and and I, I, I do have to say, Amanda Freelove sounds very much like a James Bond oh, woman. Oh, doesn't it? Name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, that just, that sounds like right out of James bond but we'll leave it there. yes right out of the 60s a um, man to free love yes <laughs> right right i was trying not to just spell out but anyways yeah. <laughs> yeah. um and then we have like the introduction of uh the british detective lady from scotland yard which uh, you know the, the funny description di missy masters uh, i love that i love that yeah. name that is so yeah. awesome 
And uh, Linwood does say, sometimes I remembered her as a man, like the, this guy yeah, with a photographic yeah. memory. Like, well, that would be a reason for that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, when when he talks to Dick Zodiac, the older Linwood, talk about the show being like time travel, he uses analogy like a Picasso painting, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. a Picasso shows all sides of the faces of uh, the face of a woman at once. And mm -hmm. and so that so that's what time travel is like. It shows you all sides at once, which is kind of a fascinating idea. They even imply at one point that because um, Amanda has a, has such a picture, such a Picasso painting hanging over her mantelpiece or something. Mm -hmm. And they later reveal that when she was the pilot of the battle TARDIS, she met Picasso. And that's apparently a painting of her that Picasso mm -hmm. did. Right. Which which adds another layer to it. By the way, before we move on from accents, I wanted to say the American ones in this are really good. Oh yes, um, I I I I mean they're a little stereotypical, but I I don't know if they hired American actors for these parts. But for once, the American accents are not just wobbly. They're they're quite good. Yeah. Uh. The 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 actress playing Missy, who not Michelle Gomez, but the actress, the other one, the other one. Uh, is British, but uh, Guy Paul is also... He's from Milwaukee. Okay, he's from Milwaukee, yeah. So he's the older uh, Joe Linwood, and then the younger Joe Linwood is played by Ryan Fordalusco? Uh, interesting. Uh, Ryan Ford, I guess. Um, I don't see... He's in a lot of different... He's a bunch of different ones, so I don't know where he's from. But uh, yeah, the the voices are really... They, they do a good job in this one. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. he, his, he doesn't have much of a bio out there, but um, yeah, the the, yeah. the voices and the accents are pretty good. Uh, yeah, it, and if you're stitching this together anyway over electronically relayed data, why not hire Americans to do the parts? Exactly. Uh, we uh, there is a nice reference to Missy as hell in a purple peacoat, which uh, is just good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> That's a, um, we have past Joe, so like the the Joe who's at the scene of the crime, the young Joe breaking the fourth wall by saying things like he feels like he's delivering lines put in his head. And you're like, mm -hmm. well, that's interesting. So you have the actor kind of describing how he's reading a script. like, And it turns out he actually is because Missy is controlling him. Uh, we find out later. It's right. not just that he feels like he's an actor in a, in a documentary, but in fact, he is being controlled by Missy and she's telling him what to say. Uh, and uh, yeah, that, and that's about the time when she stops the, the Dick Zodiac show and he calls it tediously the clip we just did. Um, and <laughs> the, so the, the, it's not Scottish, it's Irish with bits in thrown in, but also the other one, nothing says stop like the sound of obsolete technology malfunctioning with the record scratch. Oh, yes. Yeah. One of my favorite lines. Yeah. And we've used it before on mysterious world. Those two clips of Missy intruding to introduce sudden twists in the story we're telling on mysterious world yes yes uh yeah, i remember that was re quite recently uh so um the missy uh takes over uh acting as herself in the recreation uh we have a, a lie where she describes someone as um uh you're the not like so we had the dead guard chuck and then we have the other guard uh roy i think it is 
Mm-hmm. And uh, she tells him, "Oh, you're the not dead one. At least the currently not dead one." The, and he, he yeah, it's really yeah. upset. <laughs> the, so, so there's a bunch of great stuff. This is in the earlier part of the story, which is more of a fun romp before it turns serious at yeah. the end. And um, and Missy gets a bunch of great lines. Like at one point, she says, "Does no one have respect for the sequential passage of time anymore?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like, you're kind of offender number one on that point. <laughs> yes. She also, when when they uh, when they go back to the museum and they meet Roy, and he's the second security guard who took over from Chuck after Chuck died, you know, the shift change. Mm-hmm. And he found Chuck, and he's trying to, he's talking to Detective Linwood and Missy, and Missy is uninterested in what he's saying and says, I'm sorry, who is this? talking person <laughs> and then after it's clarified that he's the other security guard his shift that's his last name roy schiff um she starts torturing him with his imminent death you know yeah, um right. and 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 it, it it it's just brilliant how they do it i mean she's talking to him oh yes the currently not dead security guard and he's like, what do you mean currently? It's, well, you know, um, she reveals he's got like 21 minutes left to live. <laughs> and and he's he, he keeps asking, well, wait, what do you mean I'm, I'm going to die in 21 minutes? And she's like, why do people always, you know, ask that, you know, ask the same thing over and over again when you tell them they're going to die? I mean, it should be perfectly obvious. If I said, oh, you dropped your pen, you wouldn't ask, what do you mean I dropped my pen? You just pick it up. And so in the same way, if someone tells you you're going to die, you should just make the most of it. Some people like to pray if you're into that sort of thing. Other people like to try to find some sort of meaning that they can eke out of their now rapidly dwindling existence and so forth. And she keeps even though she's told him he's got 21 minutes, she keeps dropping the number on him much faster than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she starts talking about how, how many, how, you know, it's possible that my skills in informing someone about the fact they're going to die may leave something to be desired. Although I've certainly had enough practice. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, Roy is running around trying to, he, he, he hears the voice of Dick Zodiac, the narrator, of this reenactment, and so he he thinks that if he can find the narrator voice, this mysterious voice, he can stop his deadly fate. Uh, you know, even as Dick continues to narrate what what Roy is doing, looking for yeah. him. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, it's very very fu- funny, uh, circular. Uh, so the thing that ties the murders together. So we have the murder of the guard, we or the death of the guard. We have the death of Amanda Freelove, and we have the death of these uh, twin, the O'Leary twins, small time yeah. thieves who apparently killed each other. The thing that ties them all together is this grandfather clock, the broken clock. And and, the, and also the mysterious appearance of a man with a dark beard. A dark pointed beard. A pointed, dark beard. pointed beard. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who looks a lot like Anthony Ainley or... Or, and of course, Roger know, Delgado. Roger yeah. Delgado, right. And of course, uh, you know, somebody with a dark pointed beard has to be the bad guy, as uh, Missy well, points out. Yeah. <laughs> so uh so there's this grandfather clock in the uh manhattan museum of antiquities is where they are uh this that once belonged to william randolph hurst and maybe it, maybe right uh that is 
missing. And then we have a, uh, the clock was also in Amanda Freelove's home, and that's also missing from there. And apparently the O'Leary twins, they perhaps stole the clock as well. And so that's what the, what unites them together. And then we have this discussion of a broken clock. And Missy brings up, you know, what does a broken clock do? It does worse than nothing. It lies to you. It tells you the wrong time all but twice a day. And so she's really, mm-hmm. she's kind of down on this clock. Like, she's kind of mad at it. Uh, and it's going to turn out that the clock is the battle TARDIS uh, that, that she calls Mark because it's a... Mark 212. Linwood Lin, gives it the name Mark, yeah. Oh, okay, yep. yeah. And the Battle and we, Tardis says he likes the name Mark. Yes. The Battle Tardis is, uh, appears as the man with the pointed beard. That's an right. avatar of the Battle Tardis. So when that right. man appears, it's, it's, it's really a projection of the Tardis, and it interacts with people. Right. In, the, in the course of the story... The TARDIS takes the form of a clock and an empty glass case and, mm-hmm. that contained the clock, and it takes the form via projection, like a hologram of presumably Roger Delgado. Right. Yeah. And we, we've seen the Master's TARDIS as a broken clock before when we did a mm-hmm. Big Finish series about where the Master was under arrest by unit, and his TARDIS was there in right. the, the vault with him. You know, right. not in the same room, but in the same vault, and he was able to escape in through that TARDIS. So we've seen yeah. that happen before. So it's, it's, it also it's, appears in clock form, in grandfather clock form, in the televised show. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't gotten to this one yet, but in the Keeper of Trocken, um, oh, that's right. it appears as a clock. And when Tramus, who is an inhabitant of Trocken, goes to adjust the the ha- the hands on the clock. He's frozen, allowing the decayed master to come out and absorb his body, and that's how we got the Anthony Ainley master. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so Missy suggests, m- meanwhile, that she and Joe are potentially crazy since they both think that they're in a documentary, which is interesting. Um, the uh, and, Oh, and yeah, and he says, I think it's at this point, he says, you're not serious. And she says, I never, I'm never serious, but that's got nothing to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and she hypnotizes him into getting into the broken, uh, into the glass case of the broken clock that had the broken clock in it with her. And then the, the man with the pointed beard appears outside of the glass case and starts talking to them. So they're Mm -hmm. actually already inside the TARDIS, but Joe doesn't realize it. Right, right, because in in the interior is disguised uh, as well, and um, Missy recalls that in in the Time War she was required by quote good people to do bad things for good reasons, and it's kind of an interesting uh, disca- you know a mention of uh, the me- the ends justifying the means, and it she says it's led her it's led <laughs> yeah. her to it's led her to question you know. I mean, she says, once upon a time, I would have known what, if you divided people up into good and evil, I would have known what side I'm on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as a result of her experiences in the Time War, as the war master who was, who's Derek Jacobi, um, she's no longer so sure what side she's on when it comes to good versus evil. And that sets us up nicely for her redemption arc in the last Peter Capaldi series with Bill, where she actually 
kind of sort of becomes a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And sacrifices herself in the end, uh, you know, against yeah. her earlier incarnation. Uh, so the, the TARDIS, Mark 212, the TARDIS, keeps trying to make people his pilot because he's trying to avoid Missy and wants a different pilot. And so he, that's why he keeps kidnapping uh, all these humans on Earth to, to be his pilot. And so. And that's why Missy needs Linwood. Yes. Right. To, to, she wants to pilot him through hypnosis to get herself in control of the TARDIS again. Um, and all of the victims, quote unquote, were killed by the fact that just that they were taken by the TARDIS, making them new pilots. Now, did they die of old age or did they die of starvation? Some did. Some did. Uh, the, the guard, Chuck, he died of a heart attack. Yeah. Right on, a, on his first trip. Uh, yeah. he, he went to this amazing location in space and it was too much and he had a heart attack. Right. And on the, the bro- others. Oh, sorry. Uh, well, the, the, the O'Leary brothers uh, got greedy. They did a bunch of bank heists. So we had a bunch of time heists. Nice. And, um, and they got and they greedy up- and killed each other. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, and then the Amanda, she's, she died after she was spurned by, uh, was Lord Byron. Yeah. Oh, they were, they were what to be married in the Church of Saint. They Mary were Magdalene. married secretly. They were yeah. married secretly, and then he he left her, so she chose to die. So so they right. they all died um, in the TARDIS, and then the TARDIS uh, Mark left them there until he finally decided to get rid of them to, back in the timeline. Okay. Also, Roy Schiff, the security guard who had twenty one minutes to live, he went off as a pilot as well, but he had an accident on another planet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, that that's the thing is, is like with the with doc, the doctor and his companions, <laughs> they barely make it out of most things. So a, a person traveling by themselves without a uh, a time lord to help them out is it's going to be a high mortality rate yep. uh, on that. Um, so Missy suggests Joe t- as Mark's new pilot, and the real Joe, the or the older Joe, said at this point talks about how Missy always loses. Uh, she'd used Joe to get near her TARDIS, which was avoiding her for how she treated it. And so she piloted Joe, and Joe piloted the TARDIS. And mm-hmm. uh, we get this this connection to Picasso again. It's like Picasso. All the different angles are still there on show for all to see. Uh, the story is over, and at the same time, it's barely started. That's what he says, uh, the, the old yep. Joe. Um, and... And he describes like he's been in the TARDIS for 52 years and hmm. and and says dying is a great way to turn the tables on Missy. Uh, when, yep. you di- when you die in a time machine, your whole life flashes before your eyes. And it's especially true when you're you have a photographic memory. And so that's what we're having here is old Joe is dying and his life is flashing before his eyes. But it's coming out because it's in the in this demented TARDIS coming out as this documentary that he's watching. Yep. So, but he eventually breaks free of, of Missy's uh, control and makes, lets Mark know that this is the master. This is the pilot, the pilot you've been trying to avoid. Right. At, at which point the TARDIS reacts negatively to that. And Missy is like, hello, I was going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. Cause old Joe, that ends up interfering with young Joe and Missy, thus causing a time paradox. Uh, yeah, basically, they he, old Joe and young Joe grab Missy's bracelet, which is apparently a a time ring, like mm-hmm. um, like uh, the Fourth Doctor used in Genesis of the Daleks. 
Mm-hmm. And they use the time ring to escape from the TARDIS, leaving Missy to the mercies of the battle TARDIS, which is right. not the same as the classic one that we saw in the in the on screen in uh, in the televised show. It's one that she was specifically given as, to use as the War Master during the Time War. Right, right. right. Uh, Missy ends up trying to kill Dick Zodiac, but it turns out he's a construct of Joe's mind. So that's, that's not going to help. That's not going to work. Uh, and the, the, and so the TARDIS tries to kill Missy and the, and the two Joes escape. Um, and and we have this, what appears to be a closing narration by Dick Zodiac saying something like, and as for Missy Masters. What happened to her was never learned. And then Missy comes in in a postscript and says, hello, <laughs> of course I escaped. Do you know yeah. how hard it is to find the factory reset on a Type 212 TARDIS? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And uh, you know, we get another angle, and they weren't murders at all, just a series of unfortunate events. And, uh, and that's, that's how, how that ends. Uh, so any any last thoughts on the broken clock, uh, Father Corey? So I, I do have to ask. So is is America's most impossible killers with Dick Zodiac really just the alternate universe, Jimmy Aiken's mysterious world? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we use somewhat different tropes on mysterious world. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't no, go to I, commercial and come back and have me repeat everything. <laughs> you know, I I, I, I did love the, uh, the 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 whole trope of of the uh, documentaries, the popular TV documentaries, because there's some of them that I really enjoy, but it drives me nuts where they'll have five commercial breaks in a half an hour. And after every commercial break, they have to reiterate everything they just did. Yeah. You know, the, the one, the highway, highway, uh, highway through hell on, uh, the weather channel, which is towing. They do, you know, they do towing up in Canada and some really mm-hmm. rough roads. And it's like, they'll, they'll tell, they'll take a 10, 15 minute story and stretch it to a half an hour. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. you know, that's the one of the things. So I don't watch commercial television anymore. I stream everything that mm-hmm. I want to watch. And when you watch a documentary, one of these really lame documentaries they have today, without commercials, mm-hmm. it's even more frustrating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And and I've tried. You know, like if I'm doing research for Mysterious World, okay, let's see what this documentary series has to say. And it's it'll be like a six or eight part documentary series, and you start watching it, and it is so padded yes. that it is. It's like you could have done this in one two hour documentary. You don't need mm-hmm. eight episode, eight hour long episodes to do this. This is oh, ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. yep. Even Netflix has a habit of doing on some of their more documentary style shows where they yeah they pad it out just to to kind of spread it out to a bunch of episodes. Yeah. Anything else, Father Corey? That's all I got. How about you, Jimmy? So um, one of the things I really like about this, now, number one, it has an intricate plot, and I lo- I'm all about plot, and so I love the intricacy of the plot. I love how creative it is. I love how it satirizes things that annoy me, and a lot of it rests on the dialogue, and the dialogue is really strong in this. I mean, I've mentioned some of the lines. We've heard uh, some in the audio clips. But the dialogue is really strong, and I like the turn it takes at the end, where it's no longer a fun romp. It becomes psychologically meaningful. As it turns out, Joe Linwood is a is a veteran. He was in the Gulf War or something, mm-hmm. and um, or maybe the War on Terror. I forget which. 
Um, yeah. but he, he, ta- he talks about his wartime experiences and how it changed him. And that leads to Missy talking about her time war experiences and how they changed her. And the TARDIS also is a war vehicle and it had experiences in the time war that changed it. And so mm-hmm. we, we have this sudden turn to the psychologically serious that I think adds a whole bunch of depth. There's also, um, there's also in there, and I, unfortunately I don't remember enough of the context, but they have a Son of Sam reference at one point. Mm. Oh, yeah. It was because of the um, – so Son of Sam was a serial killer in New York who, according to some accounts, was carrying out the will of voices in his head. And mm. and they refer to that here, you know, because it's a show about impossible killers. <laughs> yeah. And we actually discussed Son of Sam on in a two-parter on Mysterious World. And actually, the common account you hear is wrong, and it's way more complex than that. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and by the way, speaking of, of references to killers, uh, just the name Dick Zodiac. Yes. Zodiac is reference to the Zodiac killers. Exactly. Yeah. I. It, uh, and we will talk about Zodiac in the future on Mysterious World. But yeah, I immediately picked up anytime you have Zodiac and serial killer in the same phrase, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're thinking about that guy. Right. And, you know, just to juxtapose it with Missy slash the master, who is a serial killer, a, a, you know, a crazy serial killer to begin with. You know, that's, that's just, yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, this is, I, I actually looked up the, uh, the writer. His name is Nev Fountain and he's done mm-hmm. a bunch of, uh, Doctor Who, your big finish audio. So this, there's a bunch in the, so there's in the main range of the Doctor Who stories. There's also, um, a, uh, I think there's a Six Doctor in Perry. He's got a yeah. River Song story. So he's got a, a, several things. So that would be interesting to check it out. Yeah, it is a complex plot. And I, I give him credit for, you know, tying it all together and, and keeping it understandable in an audio form. I mean, just, you know, in, on, on screen, this would be easier to, to uh, to to get you know to to, to portray mm-hmm. because you get different actors you can see this was harder and they did a good job. It's well, it's it's kind of crazy, but it is under it is comprehensible. And there have been mm-hmm. big finishes which I don't think were successful in that regard, where I had trouble following what was happening mm-hmm. without being able to see it. But this it's chaotic, but but by the end you see oh I get what's going on. It and it is it it becomes clear what's happening as we go. Yeah. yeah, they 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 did a good job of of that of not falling into the trap you can with like radio dramas of, oh wow, how did this empty room just suddenly happen to be here? Type of thing, you know, we just yeah. happened to walk into this empty room. Instead, they just made it echoey and things like that. But, yeah, you know, though they did, did have, descriptions better. They did have some old time radio tropes in it where you have to describe what you're doing so the audience knows. Like yep. when when the actress says, "You mean me?" Missy says. I'm not pointing my umbrella at anyone else. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Don't look behind you. I'm looking. I'm talking to you. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. It's very classic. Uh, good. Yeah, I I enjoy this as well. I mean, this is it was fun. It wasn't very long. It was you know the the length of a regular you know yeah. It was, it was like an hour. It was an hour, hour long. Yep. Um, but it was fun. And it, and you know it's Michelle Gomez, so it has to be fun. Uh, just to as the miss as Missy. And the other the others in this set. So this is one of my all time favorite big finish plays. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that I'd say I like it more than, than, uh, live 36, mm-hmm. um, live 40. but yeah, but it's close. 
And yeah. so this is one of my, my big finish favorites, which is why I suggested we do it. But the others in the set are also good. Um, you know, in A Spoonful of Mayhem, it's nice to see them lean into Missy as a demented Mary Poppins governess. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> her romp with the meddling monk, who's kind of like Missy, you know, he's he's not evil like the master, but he is a meddler. And so having the meddling monk, uh, uh, who's a fellow Time Lord that was introduced in um, William Hartnell's era, he's he's kind of the prototype of Missy. You know, he's mm. this kind of he's he's is kind of selfish, but he's not really evil. But he is this kind of chaos causing agent, and Missy is kind of like the meddling monk squared. So putting the two of them together, or maybe cubed, um, so putting <laughs> the two of them together is a natural pairing. You have these two kind of mischievous figures, and then it's nice to see how they bring all of it together in uh, in the final one where. Missy gets sort of gets her wish. She's ruling a planet and has to deal with the complications of that. <laughs> and they also tie everything up. But remember, this is not her traditional TARDIS. This is only one she was given in the Time War. So she is not mm. as attached to this TARDIS as she would be her own. Mm. Right. And that plays a role in the in the fourth story. Interesting. Nice. All right, so I think that should do it for our discussion this time. Uh, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Doctor Who, including Chris B., Tim H., Samantha K., E.C., and Christian R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. We would love to hear what you think of The Broken Clock. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Send an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Eighth Doctor Big Finish story called Seasons of Fear. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. Record scratch! Nothing says stop everything like the sound of obsolete technology malfunctioning. Speak not another word. I won't warn you again.